Um, my father was a career military man. Jennifer always gets mad at me when I start with this introduction because I do it all the time. And she says, people have already heard it. I don't care, honey. It makes a great point. Okay. So my father is a career military man, 33 years in the army, served in World War II. That tells you how old he was when I was born. Okay. Served in World War II, Vietnam, Korea. And he was a post command sergeant major at Fort McClellan when he retired. So this is a, this is a hardcore long-term military guy. And so when he spoke, I listened, right? Okay. When he spoke, I listened dot, dot, dot. Most of the time. Cause you see in 1988, I was able to receive as my first vehicle, a 1986 Cutlass two-tone blue. Who's with me? Okay. Anybody in here? who knows 86 Cutlass? Okay. Two-tone blue. This thing had velour seats in, the, in it. I mean, there was nothing wrong with it. It was pristine had the rims rocking on it. I worked hard, saved up my money, put a, a CD player in that thing. Not a CD player, excuse me. <laughs> cassette player, okay? Young people, y'all know what a cassette is, okay? Had a cassette player in there where I could put in some ACDC or some Def Leppard. Y'all know who that is? Okay. Anyway, unbelievable, unbelievable car, beautiful car. Love that car. Drove it all over town, okay? My father was going to visit my older brother who was in the military in Colorado Springs, and he said, you're not going with us. And he said, hey, you don't leave the city of Weaver in that car. Who's been to Weaver? <laughs> okay. <laughs> back in the day, it was four-way stop. Then they got a red light. Guess what? We're back to a four-way stop. Okay. You don't leave the city of Weaver in that vehicle. What did I say? Yes, sir. Okay. This is the command sergeant major. Okay. Yes, sir. I just happened to be playing in a summer basketball league, trying to get where I could go to college and play basketball. Summer basketball league at Woodlawn High School in Birmingham. And we just happened to have a game on a Sunday afternoon during the time that my father was gone to Colorado Springs. And guess what? Nobody else could drive. So I had to drive. It was an obligation, right? I had to drive to get everybody over there. So we go to the ball game, we drive, we play the ball game, we get out, we come out. I don't know if you know where Woodlawn High School is, but there's a, there's a high school here and there's a, there's a church here. There's a big parking lot they share and there's a light in the middle, a big pole, big, big light. Right there. I said, I'll park right here under this light. Everything be cool. We come out, we're playing the game, get ready to go. We come out and... My car's not there. Car's gone. I run inside. I go to the other side of the gym, go out the other side. I'm, I came out on the wrong side. I'm just confused. I'm confused which parking lot I'm in. Well, there wasn't a parking lot on the other side. It was just woods. Okay. Come back out. I'm in the right parking lot. And all my friends are laughing. Somebody's, somebody's done stole your car is what they said. And I said, you gotta be kidding. They use a, they've used a slim gym on your car. Do y'all know what a slim gym is? I ate slim gyms. Okay. I have no idea what a slim is. Somebody has hijacked my car. It's gone. Okay. We spend the night in Birmingham with a, with a friend crammed up into a little apartment. The next day they find my 1986 Cutlass, beautiful car. Did I mention that? Two-tone blue. Okay. Didn't have a scratch on it. Velour seats. It is beat to death. Okay. They have busted the steering column. They've hot wired the car. They bent the back seat down so they could get into the back and get everything out of the trunk and stole everything. I still remember to this day, I can pass the phone booth. Y'all know what a phone booth is? You can pass the phone booth on the road in Birmingham. And every time we go by, the kids and Jennifer get tired of it. I'm like, that phone booth right there, I still remember calling Command Sergeant Major Jesse Easterwood from that phone booth to say, Daddy, somebody stole my car. Where are you, son? Birmingham. <laughs> he never said a word. Never said a word about me being in Birmingham where I was. 
gets home from the trip. The car, the car's recovered the next day, by the way. You know, I told you it's beat to death. Gets home from the trip, never says a word. I drive the car, I clean it up, I, make, I, I save my money, I put a new cassette player back in there, I make it as, as pristine as it can possibly be. And one afternoon I'm gone to a practice with some friends of mine and they drove and I get back to the house and the car is not there. It's gone. I'm like, not again. I'm like, not again. I come in, mama, what's up? Where's my car? What's up? Where's my car go? Well, you can talk to your daddy about that. So I go and I ask command sergeant major. I mentioned he was a career military guy. And I say, dad, what's the deal with my car? And he says, I sold it. Sold my car, okay? No explanation, no anything. But you know what? I finally got the point, okay? I finally realized, okay? He's given me some, some wisdom, some godly wisdom. He's given me some direction. He's told me what to do, and I've done the opposite, and I've suffered the consequences of it, okay? So you got that as an example of wisdom. And then a few Sundays ago, I stand before you, and I explain to you the sabbatical for Cody. And I'm, I'm so nervous up here that I'm, gonna, I'm telling these people that our pastor's going to be gone for a month, and I said, guys are going to be preaching. I'm, I'm nervous. Is everybody going to understand that? This is biblical and this is what needs to happen and this is just a, a very good thing to give our pastor rest so he can come back and lead us. All the elders have approved it, the deacons have approved it, we gotta present it to the church. I want them to understand it so bad. I tell you, I get finished, I'm, I'm walking off the stage and I'm walking over here and here comes an elderly gentleman towards me. Don't know him from Adam's house cat, never seen him in my life. Happens to be Donna Chilton's father. Still don't know his name, sorry approaches me, shakes my hands. One of those, one of those handshakes, you know what I mean? Where, where it's an older gentleman and it's just full of wisdom as soon as he grabs your hand and he, he pulls me in close and he says, son, now I'm listening. Son, I'm so glad to hear that this church is doing what God wants you to do. And then he says, you know what the Bible says, Alan? Do not muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain. 1 Timothy 5, 18. And in that very moment, that wisdom, that wisdom from some man, I had no idea who he was, don't know his name, still can't call his name. He's just Donna's dad. Father. Don't get, when we get to the scripture here, don't get mixed up in thinking that father is only just your biological father or your father who's led you. This is a father who's speaking wisdom over me. And at that moment, I was so comfortable in every decision that had been made because God had spoken to me through this. So there's two examples there of wisdom. One, you don't really like, right? Your father gives you wisdom and then there's discipline from it because you didn't behave correctly. And then there's one where it just flows over you and you get wisdom from somebody that just affirms in you that you've done the right thing. And so the Bible has a lot to say, a lot to say about wisdom. And we know over the last few weeks, we've heard from these guys, they've talked about wisdom. I wanna thank uh, Andrew and Tony for stealing most of my material because you guys said a lot of what I wanted to say. So thank you for that. Um, but our lesson today is on, is on wisdom and uh, I believe... Uh, we're going to follow up. John's going to finish with it. And then King Solomon, who is the writer of the proverb that we're talking about today, says a lot about wisdom and understanding. And got, the Bible says that King Solomon was given wisdom and understanding beyond measure in the breadth of mind like the sand of seashore. So think about this. If, if God has given the wisest man possibly who ever lived instruction to speak to us about wisdom, and you've heard for it for three weeks in a row, we're going to hear from another way. God wants us to sit up and listen. Amen. He's got something to say in spite of me. So we're going to look at our passage today. We're in Proverbs 4, verses 10 through 18. I think it may say 17 in your information, uh, but that's what we're reading. If you'll, if you'll stand, if you're able, uh, Tony mentioned this in reverence of, of the word, and we'll, we'll read the scripture right quick. Proverbs 4, 10 through 18. Hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the path of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. 
And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it. Pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. And 18, but the path of righteousness is like the dawn, the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. You can be seated. So like, so like a good Christian young man getting ready to preach on wisdom, I reach out to, to friends, godly friends, and I say, give me some wisdom on this passage. And a trusted Christian brother comes back to me and he says, I don't have anything for you except one sentence. So I, I basically have stole this from him. I did tell him, but I stole this from him and you've got an outline, okay? Andrew, Tony, you guys had fabulous outlines. I'm not that smart. I got one sentence, people, okay? So you have an outline and here is what the sentence said. You're going to be able to fill it in early, but we're going to come back to it several times. Here's what he sent to me. Send it in a text after we read this scripture together. The instruction you receive from God becomes the pathway you walk, which determines the outcome of your life. Think about that. The instruction you receive from God becomes the pathway you walk, which determines the outcome of your life basically what that scripture is summed up. I could have just read the scripture, said that and said, amen, Russell, and we're out of here. Okay. We're going to unpack it a little bit. So let's look at it. We got the backdrop of this scripture being in verse 10, that a father is giving instruction to a son. He's basically saying, Hey, Hey, listen to what I'm telling you. And it's going to go well for you. Listen to your father's instruction and things are going to go well for you. I wish I'd listened back to my story. I wish I'd listened about the 86 cutlass, say in Weaver. I wouldn't have had as much as pain and discipline that, that came from that. I should have listened. But in verse 11, he says, I have taught you and then I have led you. Don't miss this. Because it's one thing for somebody to tell you how to do something, but it takes on a whole new meaning when they do what? When they actually lead you in something. It's a big difference between being taught on something and being, being led on something. As you know, we've, had, we've got a little guy that's been hanging out with us for the past year, Maddox. He's three and he is everywhere. He's into everything. And I don't know how many times I have said to him over the last year, Maddox, Maddox, look at me. Look at Baba. Y'all know what that is? Baba. You want to you use this, you can, but that's Chinese for, for father or for daddy. Okay. But so many times, Maddox, look at me. Look at me. Look at Baba. And so he'll stop for how many seconds? Two or three seconds. Look at me. And then he's just right back to what he was doing. Not, not paying me any attention whatsoever. But when I say to him, Maddox, look at me, listen to Baba. And then I stop everything I'm doing. I get off my phone. I quit paying other attention to other people and I get down with him and we're eyeball to eyeball. Now we're making some progress and I sit down with him and I show him how to do it. Or instead of yelling at him from two rooms over to do something that I want him to do. And I come to him and we're face to face and I sit down with him and I show him or Jennifer's much better than I am at this, but I show him what's going on. I lead him in that. What does he do? Now we're starting to make progress. Is it always perfect? No, but we're starting to make progress. And so parents, I want to say to you, when, when we lead, we have to lead by example. It cannot be all talk. It cannot be all talk. Or as I like to say to our connection group, it cannot be a bunch of gum flapping. Y'all know, know what gum flapping is? You do it a bunch of this right here. 
a bunch of smack talk, a bunch of gum flapping. All you're doing is flapping your gums and you're not doing anything to lead by example. And if you're sitting here thinking, well, I'm not a parent, I'm off the hook, I'm good to go. No, you're not off the hook because Christians, <laughs> you know, you have a responsibility. Now I promise when, you're, when they're watching someone, they're emulating somebody, right? They are watching and emulating somebody. They're getting their examples from somebody. And don't you want the godly example that you're trying to set to be the person that they're following and not something else? So in Matthew 5, it says to let your light shine before men, shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. People are watching, are they not? I can't tell you how many times over the years God's given me the privilege to teach, to preach here and there. Well, I've come away from thinking I hadn't, I hadn't impacted anybody. Nobody's, nobody got anything out of that. I'm the worst guy ever. I can't speak. Five years down the road, I'll see somebody I hadn't seen them forever and they will come to me and say, you know, one time you talked about so-and-so and what God said from the word. And at that very time, I was struggling with the exact same thing. People are listening. They're watching what you do. If you're a Christian, what you do matters. And the example that you set actually matters. That's not Alan. I'm not pumping Alan. That's all goes back to God. God's using you to bring the light that he's talking about here in Matthew 5 back to him. And don't, don't miss the preaching of the gospel in this verse, people. In, in the very beginning, he says, hear and accept that your years may be many. Are you picking up on that? Hear and accept that your years may be many. Hear the word of God, accept it. You believe that, you accept it, you hear it, what do you have? Eternal life. You have God forever. You have eternity with God. So God, I love, I love how you're just reading the scripture and the gospel gets just put right into the middle of it and you're reading it, you go right along, you never even pick up on it. He's preaching the gospel of Jesus right there. So again, as, as we go back to your sentence, the instruction you receive from God becomes the pathway you walk which determines the outcome of your life. So basically, if we, if we hear and we accept the Father's instruction, like he's telling us, then God promises, this is the way I read it in verse 12, he promises me that everything's gonna go my way. Are you reading it? You read verse 12, Every, everything's, if you do what I want you to do and you follow my wisdom and you listen to my words, everything's gonna be good. Everything's gonna go your way. That's not what it says. Okay. That's not what it says here. It does, it does not mean that everything's gonna be hunky-dory, okay? Here's what it says. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. So you're thinking that sounds pretty straightforward, Alan. That's what they're saying. Well, the terrain in God's time, in God, where God's people live, was not smooth at all. It was this rocky, mountainous terrain. And so for a smooth, straight path to exist, for somebody to walk on was virtually impossible. Okay? So for their past, for them, when they, when they would hear this, for their past to be straight and for them to be, not to be tired when they walk or when they run would be a promise that they would have good light where they could see what they were doing on these paths, that they would have protection, that they would have endurance, that they would have strength. And you think about that, it's the same for us. It's the same for us as Christians. There aren't many straight paths in the Christian life. Does God love us? Does he bless us? Does he give us good things? Yes, amen. But who in here would not raise their hand if I said the Christian life is difficult? It is, okay? It's a difficult life, a difficult road to walk. And sometimes, a lot of times, these paths that we're walking on are very difficult and they're, they're not straight. And that's what God is, is telling us that sometimes difficulty is going to come, parentheses I put, and we know that it will. And then he's gonna give us, he's gonna give us good light and protection and endurance and strength to be able to see where we're going. I asked a trusted friend, some of you guys remember uh, Dan Fisher. 
You may, you may remember Dan Fisher was on staff here for a while. Still very, very close, trusted friend with Dan. And so trying to seek wisdom on these things, I send Dan a message and say, Dan, I'm struggling here with this one. I don't want people to walk away from here hearing me say, hey, trust God's wisdom, stay close to him, and you're good to go. Everything's good to go. There's plenty of preachers saying that. Amen. There's plenty of guys, prosperity guys saying that. That's not what I want them to get. And so I say, help me with this. And so he sends me a picture. I, th- I think we've got the picture. Are you able to get it up? Do we, have, do we have a picture, anybody? Wow, there it is. Can you take the words down? Amen, okay. So Dan just sends me a picture and he just says, hey, check out the paths of righteousness right here. I said, gee, Dan, thanks for sending me a picture of a rocky hillside and, and labeling it paths of righteousness. Okay, but what you're, what you're looking at here, he actually circled it in red. Can you see the horizontal lines that are on here? Somebody say yes, just to make me feel good, Okay. <laughs> This is actually a picture of a rocky hillside and you can't see the whole thing just goes up and it's this big expanse. But you got these, these horizontal lines that he calls path of righteousness. And he says, this, this was the only safe way for the sheep to eat what they needed, the only way for them to get where they needed to be on such a tough terrain. And I stopped for a second. I thought, man, that is just exactly the same for me as a Christian. It's a difficult path. It's a hard walk as a Christian. It's the same for us. If you're Christ's sheep, if you're his sheep, if you stay connected to his wisdom as it's talking about in these verses, then he's not going to let you stumble and fall in the sense that you're thinking. You're going to have a path like this because it's a rocky mountain, is it not? That's so cool to look at that and see those straight lines, those horizontal lines that those sheep, they know, they, they walk it. They know this is what I got to do. This is what I got to stay on. This is who I got to listen to, the who, the shepherd. This is the path that I got to follow in order to make it through this mountainous, rocky, horrible path that I'm on. And it's the same thing for us. If you're not staying connected to the wisdom of God, we don't have a chance, people. Amen? We are toast without it. We have to stay connected to it and walk on these paths of righteousness. But we do need to be careful. I mentioned this. We've got to be careful when you look at this verse. There's so many false teachers today that will take this verse and say to you, see, see, God is saying that if you'll just stay connected to him, that you'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy, you'll be wise if you'll just stay connected to him and give me some money. Don't believe that lie. Do not believe that lie. And when you hear someone else preaching it, or teaching it, stand up and say it's not true and explain what the word of God is actually talking about here, that tough times are gonna come. I could go around the room right now and you guys could share with me difficult, hard things that you're doing what, right now? I mean, right now? We don't have to talk about five years ago or 10 years ago or 15 years ago, we can talk about right now. I had a time in my life about, about 15 years ago where I suffered the worst depression. I, I mean, it was two years of, it's okay to say this. It was two years of hell. Two years of hell. I loved God. I went to church. I taught. I preached. I loved my family. How does that guy suffer depression? How does that guy have anything wrong going on? Do you think I asked God any of those questions at that time? What's up? I'm doing this for you. I'm serving you. I'm loving you. I can't explain it to you. Just I didn't want to do nothing. I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want to be around anybody. I sure didn't want to come into the church house. Anybody, been, anybody with me? Sure didn't want to come into the church house and have somebody look at me and say, hey, Alan, God loves you. Everything's going to be okay, buddy. Ah, I don't know. I'm not sure. How does that line up with the prosperity, people? 
How does that line up when they say, hey, everything's going to go great. You just trust God. It's going to be fine. Then why am I on my face? Why am I on my face? Can't get off the mat deep down, deep down in despair. Why is that? I had a friend, a trusted friend at the time. He came to me. He said, we're going to church. I said, no, I'm not. I'm not going to church. He said, yeah, we're going. We ain't going to the normal place where all the people you know are going to be. Get in the car. This is what you need in these circumstances, right? This is what you need. You need this guy. Get in the car. I get in the car. I go with him. He takes me to the church at Brook Hills in Birmingham. So everybody's thinking, oh, David Platt was preaching that day. Nope, David Platt wasn't around then. The regular guy was gone. You know who was preaching? The guy who leads South, um, New Orleans Seminary. Guess what had just happened not long before that? Katrina. Guess what he lost? Everything. He had nothing. He preached that day from Isaiah 43. The title of the message, 15 years ago, you think it had an effect on me? The title of the message was not safe, but secure. Can I just stop now? Not safe, but secure. And he read from Isaiah 43. Here's what he said. Fear not for I have redeemed you. This guy's, this guy's speaking to me. This is God speaking to Alan. Fear not, Alan. You're on, your, you're on the mat. You're on your face right now. Fear not for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Can you rest in that? I have called you by name, Alan, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. He didn't say, hey, just in case something bad comes along. He says, when these things happen, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, the Holy One of Israel, comma, your Savior. Don't believe that prosperity mess because I walked a really tough road and you have too, right? You're walking them now and you've walked them before, but man, when you stay connected to this thing right here and you stay connected to the wisdom and that guy said, you're going to be not safe, but secure, boy, it changed every, our whole perspective. Did I go home and get out of the depression immediately? No. Did I battle for a lot longer? Yes. Did God eventually deliver me? Yes. Would it have mattered if he didn't? No. Because I may not be safe, but I'm secure. And then look at the emphasis that he puts in verse, thing on, uh, verse 13 on an actually retaining wisdom. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Wisdom is being described here as something that's precious that you do not want to lose. Look, at, do not let go. Stay close. In John 15, 5, Jesus says this, I am the vine and you are the branches. Y'all know this verse. I'm the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing apart from God. I think God's serious when he's talking to his people about holding on to wisdom. I want you to do me a favor. Do me a favor. Stand up. That's awesome. I didn't have to say it again. If you're able, you know, stand up. I appreciate you. Appreciate you standing up with me. And uh, how many of you just gave me an eye roll? Who gave me an eye roll? Okay, go ahead and raise your hand. Somebody gave me, hey, thank you. You're being honest. Thank you, Robin. You gave me an eye roll. Who gave me a huff under their breath? Michael's telling the truth. Okay, a few more people. Hey, I love you people telling the truth. Lots of people. Oh, we've already stood up. We got to stand up again. We've already done this, Alan. Eye roll, huff. So then what if I tell you that 
I've got you standing now and for the next four hours I'm going to read to you from the book of the law of Moses. Huh? <laughs> You're honest. Thank you, Sandra. I'm, I'm out of here. Okay. We've got we to read more than 10 or 15 verses and you know, we are just absolutely out of here. You can have a seat. I'm not going to make you stand up. Okay. But if I asked you and said, hey, we're going to read from the book of law of Moses for the next four hours, everybody's out there saying they're out of here. They're, I got no takers, but you know, this is exactly what happened in the book of Nehemiah. Ezra, Ezra the priest read to about 42,000 Israelites from the book of the law. Here's what the Bible says, from early morning until noonday, comma, and all the people stood. Tony mentioned this a couple weeks ago. From early morning until noonday, he stood and read from the book of the law, the first five books of the Bible. And they stood in reverence for the word and what they, what they wanted to hear. And uh, then this is the best part. It says that after they stood, they stood in reverence and the scripture says that the people shouted, amen. Amen. Before, before he read anything. Not after Alan gets up here and you decide if it was something decent that I said. And you say, hey, Alan, you did a good job. Amen, brother. Hallelujah. Before he read from the book of the law, the people shouted amen. Why? Because they knew what they were about to hear was what? The truth. They knew what they were about to hear was the truth. That it was good. That it was wisdom. That it was something that they could hold on to and that they could live their lives by. And that they could go on these paths. Because they knew it was something good, so they're shouting amen. So, hey, when Cody gets back, you know what we're going to do? Before he even starts speaking, what are y'all going to do? Just shout amen, shout hallelujah, because you know he's fixing to proclaim something that's the truth, that's wisdom from God that you can hang on to. Listen, the wisdom from God is not just an optional extra of being a Christian. Do you understand that? She is your very life is what the word says. Let's hang out here for just, for just a second. And this, this, this statement... Is true of us as Christians, do you think? Wisdom is, wisdom is your very life. What God says here is your very life. So the, I'm asking a question, is it? Is it true of us as Christians? Do we funnel every decision that we make through the wisdom that's received from God's word in the Bible? Think about it. I can go through story after story where I, say, I could say yes, but not really. I've made a lot of decisions. I've done a lot of dumb things that didn't have anything to do with God where I'm actually funneling it through his word and asking him for wisdom and guidance on what to do. Or do our lives look more like it's based on what feels good to us? Andrew mentioned this. If it feels good, what? Hey, if it feels good, let's do it. If it's the easiest path, amen? If it's the easiest path, take that one. Doesn't matter if God's in your ear. Doesn't matter if he's telling you, hey, this is what I want you to do. Doesn't matter if it's really hard. There's really a much easier path and I think that's the one that I want to take. And so I ask our connection group all the time, what are you doing in your life right now that if God doesn't come through, you are toast? Ask that question. If we're really connected to this vine and we're really listening to the wisdom of God, it's not going to be always, hey, 
Easy road right down here. Don't forget about this. There ain't no mountains in what I'm going to ask you to do. There's no rough pass. There's some easy roads. Take that one. No, most of the time when you really get to see God, it's him asking you to do something hard. He's asking you to do something difficult. So what are you doing right now in your life that if God doesn't come through, you're toast? Because he's probably asking you to do something and you're looking at a couple of different roads and you're deciding and the other one's going to be easier. But if we're truly seeking his wisdom, he's going to ask us to do some things that just don't make sense to the world, right? The world should look at you and go, what is he doing? What is that girl thinking? But guess what? You're supposed to look that way. You're supposed to be an alien on this world. This is not your home. Did you understand that? It took me forever as a young person to understand that and to actually see and have a heaven theology and live understanding that this is not my home. And it just infuriates me when I see you know, young people in our, in our class or, I, or myself, it infuriates me when I just see people living lives like the rest of the world lives. And we just look no different from anybody else. But you know what? If you really want this wisdom, you really want to keep hold of God's wisdom, he makes it available. Here's what he says in James 1, 5 through 8. If any man lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. Boy, we like to stop right there. <laughs> We like to stop right there. Here's what he, he, he keeps going. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. In other words, when God gives you wisdom and asks you to do something, act on it. Trust him, Amen. Trust him that what he actually is telling you to do is going to be for your good because it is, because he knows everything. When he gives you the wisdom, act on it. So go back again to our sentence. The instruction that you receive, you understand where this sentence is coming from? The instruction you receive from God becomes the pathway you walk, which determines the outcome of your life. So if you're listening to your father's instruction, you're trying not to stumble, you're trying not to fall, you're holding tight to all of this wisdom, you're doing everything you can because it's your very life. And then we get to what I think is the most difficult part of our passage, in my opinion, verse 14. Verse 14 and 15. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil, of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it, turn away from it and pass on. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it, turn away from it and pass on. I don't mean that it's so difficult and hard to understand because just listen to the language here. <laughs> do not, I mean, it's pretty, pretty straightforward. Do not enter, do not walk, avoid, turn away, pass away, pass on. It's pretty straightforward. It's not difficult that that's hard to understand. What's difficult about this is what? Application, right? Doing it. This is difficult. This is very hard to do. John eight thirty four. everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Paul in Romans 7, 15, for I do not understand my own actions. Y'all could probably finish this. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. It's not easy. This is difficult. This is why Christians should not follow the mantra that I mean, Andrew again mentioned it last week. Follow our hearts. You know what's in here? <laughs> you know what's in your heart? There's a bunch... There's good stuff in there. There's love. There's passion. There's deceit in here. There's evil in here. There's horrible desires inside of this guy's heart. 
So don't follow your heart. Follow, follow what God. And it, I know this is easier said than done. As, as Christians, though, guys, we have to put ourselves in a position to actually be successful. I mentioned Maddox, our little three-year-old, a few minutes ago. That guy loves chewing gum. He just loves chewing gum. He knows where it is in the car. We got, everybody got, who's got a little tub of gum in your car, a little tub at the house or at your office somewhere? You got it somewhere. He loves the gum. He knows where it is. In two seconds, he's in it. He loves the gum. He loves Mallory's Tic Tacs. And Mallory cannot stand it that he loves her Tic Tacs. He went upstairs in her room the other day and he comes downstairs and I say, did you get in her Tic Tacs? And he's like, his, he can't even, his mouth can't even open. It's crammed with Tic Tacs. <laughs> he opens his mouth and some of them start falling out. And he's like, no. You know, like this minty fresh bread just kind of fills the room, okay? He's been in the Tic Tacs. But he knows where the, he loves the gum and he knows where the gum is. So we outsmarted him and we put the tub of gum up real high in the pantry. You know, because we're smart. I mean, Jennifer, she's an unbelievable mother. She puts his gum up real high in the pantry where he can't get to it, except the fact that he does what? Eh, this is no big deal. I know where it is. He climbs the pantry shelves to get to the gum and as he's reaching for it, knocks off a can of green beans or something and off to the ER we go, because what did it do? Bam! Right here on top of his head. Big old gash right on the top of his head, okay? Second trip to the ER. He's been home with us for one year. I promise y'all we're doing better than the orphanage. I swear. <laughs> Second trip to the ER. Got, already, got, already got stitches in his ankle. Got a staple in his head. Guess what, Maddox? The place to fight your gum temptation is not climbing the shelves of the pantry. Amen? The place to fight your temptation is not right up in the middle of what you know you struggle with. Amen? Listen, I'm talking to myself here. I mentioned this in previous sermons. There's, I, there's certain things I like to watch. And I, like to, I, I can convince myself, well, I can do this. I can watch this. It ain't going to affect me any. It doesn't matter if there's a sex scene. It doesn't matter if there's, well, yeah, it does. It matters because guess where it goes? Boop, right here. Guess where it goes from right here? Boop, right here. Guess what I think about at work the next day? What I just watched the night before? Don't put yourself in that position. Young person, if you're dating, and you're thinking this is, a, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread and you're, you're, you're with this person and you, oh, this is love. And man, don't put yourself in position. Don't get in the backseat of a car alone. You don't know the worst place to fight temptation. It's right there, I promise you. Oh, we're going to hang out in our room together. We're studying. We're going to go up mom and dad. And, and you parents, you parents, just sit there and watch it. <laughs> go on up there. Y'all be good. I, I can trust y'all. Y'all go ahead and be, be okay. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I'm a godly young man when I was 16, 17, 18 years old, and now I wanted to do a couple things. Don't fight temptation right up in the middle of it. If you ain't supposed to have the cookies, don't have your hand all the way down inside of the jar. If you fight, if you've got covetousness, you're envious of other people. Don't do this. Our, our class talked about this a couple of weeks. Don't go home this afternoon when you're vegging and crashing and get the old phone out and flip through what? Facebook for three or four hours and Instagram and Snapchat and all that. Because what? Everybody's life on there is unbelievable. It's fabulous. You're going to want, they got everything. I don't have that. They've got a better this than me. They've got a better that than me. He's the best husband I've ever seen. How many people have read these things? And I'm, I'm not knocking y'all. Y'all are good husbands, okay? You're good wives. He's the greatest since sliced bread because he did this, 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 and this. Well, thank you very much for doing what you're supposed to do. She's the greatest mother since sliced bread because she took care of the kids. She thank you. We appreciate that you're doing what God's asked you to do. But what do you do when you read that? 
I'm envious of them. I'm coveting what they got. Guess what? Put yourself in a position to fight these things correctly. Don't spend three or four hours on there. Block certain people that you know are going to make you just lose your mind. Take practical steps. We got to be smart about this. You don't need to fight your gum temptation while you're climbing the shelves, people. Because bad things are going to happen to us. No doubting Thomas. I don't want to get off on him too much, but he gets, he gets a bad rap for being doubting Thomas. You know why? Because he didn't put himself in any kind of position to be blessed. God said, hey, let's have a meeting. Jesus, let's have this meeting. Ah, got other stuff to do. Jesus just walked through the wall. He just happened to miss it, y'all. Because he didn't put himself in the right position. And there's so much at stake in what we're choosing. Look at verse 16 and 17. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. This is no place that you want to be. Are you listening to that? The wicked cannot even sleep unless they have done wrong or caused others to stumble. So complete is their wickedness that they are restless until they do wrong. Wow. Are you restless for that kind of life? Or do you want the actual literal rest that comes from trusting in Jesus? Think about that. The next time you get ready to decide to do an activity or spend time with people that you know is not the wisdom from God, go back here and stop and think what wickedness is. This says that they can't even sleep until they've made what? Teenager, you stumble. Young adult, till they've made you stumble. They're restless until they've actually done wrong. And how interesting is verse 17 that it talks about the bread of wickedness and the wine of violence. And you take a stark contrast with that to the bread and the wine of the communion table. The bread and wine at the communion table represents the body that was broken and the blood that was spilled for us sinners by our Savior. So think about this. All this that we've discussed today doesn't, even, doesn't mean much to you if you don't really understand what the gospel actually is. If you don't actually understand the hope that you have in Jesus. Everything that I'm telling you about could just be good moral behavior, right? I mean, it could. I'm fighting as hard as I can. You're fighting as hard as you can. I know Jesus, you don't. It's just a bunch of good moral behavior. That's all it is until we understand who God actually is. I had a, a witnessing encounter not long ago where the person was saying, Alan, I'm not as good as you. You go to church, you do this, that, and the other. You're, I said, there's no, there's no difference between me and you. Here, here's the difference between me and you. I'm a reprobate piece of trash. There you go, connection group. I'm a reprobate piece of trash who's fighting as hard as I can to do all the things that we've talked about today, just like you're fighting as hard as you can. And there's, only, there's a difference between me and you. There's one difference between me and you. I am covered by the grace of my Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. That's the difference between me and you. And I heard this analogy one time. There's a huge, I'm, I'm getting close to finishing, I'm sorry. There's this huge tsunami wave coming. Me and this person, my friend, we're both standing here. Huge tsunami wave coming. What, what can you do with a tsunami wave? You're done. You are toast. There's nothing you can do about it. You're just, you're just toast when it gets here. And it's piling down. And the difference between me and her is when it gets right here, when it gets right here, a humongous hole opens up in the ground right here in front of my feet and everything goes, ah, and straight down into that hole. 
That's what, that's what grace, that's what the mercy and grace of God does. It gets right here to me. And instead of overtaking me and me spending an eternity separated from him, God swallows it up in a hole and it's just gone. She's standing right here beside me. And without knowing God, when it gets here, there's no hole. There's no hole. It's just going to wash over. That's the only difference between me and her. And so none of this really even makes any difference or matters until we actually understand who God is and that that broken body and that blood that was poured out to cover our sin was an actual substitute for you. And the Bible says, if you believe that, you'll be saved. And we want to complicate it. It says, if you believe it, it'll be saved. And then in verse 18, he sums up this grace and this hope that I'm talking about. Here's what it says. But the path of righteousness is like the light of dawn. Here's where it gets good. The path of righteousness is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Now, as I was studying over this and I had all these different thoughts and I was reading from one of the books that we were given to kind of study on Proverbs and a guy named James Ortland writes in his book on Proverbs concerning verse 18. Here's what he says, because he says it better than I can. What keeps us moving forward in the way of God's wisdom is hope. Confidence. Expectancy. Think about that. What keeps you moving forward in this thing? What keeps you moving forward when you got that kind of terrain in front of you? Hope, the wisdom of hope, confidence in who God is, expectancy in that future grace he's talking about. You might not be much of a Christian right now. Who is of us? But if you have chosen Christ, he is dawning in your life. There might be only a glimmer of light on the horizon right now, but the sun is rising. The darkness cannot stop it and Christ will bring his good work in you to noonday brilliance. He who began a good work, what's he gonna do? Complete it on the day of Christ. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That bright gospel confidence is how you keep going step by step, moment by moment and stay on the right path, the path of wisdom. So go back with me one more time to that fabulous outline. The instruction you receive from God becomes the pathway you walk, which determines the outcome of your life. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Cody Hill. I'm the lead pastor here at Iron City. Thank you so much for connecting with us online. I hope in the days ahead that we'll have an opportunity to connect with you in person. On our website, ironcity.org, you'll see a number of different opportunities that you have to connect with our church and opportunities that we're seeking to engage our community and minister to our church family. I'd like to especially invite you to come and be a part of one of our connection groups that meet at nine o'clock immediately preceding our Sunday morning worship service. You'll find that we're not a perfect church, but we are a passionate church. We take following Jesus very seriously, but we try not to take ourselves too seriously. So I hope you'll come this Sunday at 1015 and worship with us and let us get to know you a little bit better.